0: Hashtag LaptopGate. Glenn Greenwald wrote a new article for The Intercept called Facebook and Twitter cross a line far more dangerous than what they censor. Caitlin Johnstone often makes the point that oligarchic monopolists are causing fascism because Congress keeps them on a short leash, and if they don't obey the government, then they are going to be throttled. And some other tech oligarch will get to do what they're doing. So Kate's point is that tech oligarch suppression and censorship amounts to state censorship. If Facebook and Twitter don't do what the government wants, then they won't get to do what they're doing. Glenn makes the point that the New York Post is one of the country's oldest and largest newspapers. And he does mention that it is run by a right-wing owner. But he leans harder on the idea that it's an old, venerable institution founded by Alexander Hamilton, and that it has a wide circulation. In my opinion, the headline looks a little bit like a tabloid, but both Bidens are obviously crooks, and nobody seems to want to talk about it, especially on Twitter and Facebook. All the brouhaha started when Twitter stopped allowing the story to be circulated. They've since backed down, and you can now post this on Twitter, but for a while you couldn't even share this on Twitter. What we need to remember is that even though we can share what we want to share and right-wing stuff is not allowed to be shared, it's not okay. Censorship, like Twitter and Facebook are doing, is not okay. Caitlin Johnstone wants us to imagine if mainstream media consistently applied the evidentiary standards it's applying to Hunter Biden's emails. This was written on October 15th before Twitter lifted the ban. Mainstream media and social media platforms are blacking out an October surprise published by the New York Post, which purports to show smoking gun emails from the laptop of Hunter Biden, son of Democratic nominee Joe Biden. Both Twitter and Facebook have censored the story on their platforms, the first time we've seen the powerful social media giants deplatform a mainstream news media article, both citing concerns about the origins of the emails and an uncertainty about the veracity of the claims. Facebook was limiting distribution of the story while its outside fact-checkers reviewed the story's claims, spokesman Andy Stone said, reports NPR, adding that Twitter said it decided to block the story because it couldn't be sure about the origins of the emails. This is me talking. That reminds me of the friend I was telling you about a few days ago, one of my fellow professors who thinks that NPR isn't propaganda. Back to the story. Twitter claims it found the emails to be in violation of its policies, banning content which contains private information and its rules against hacked materials, both of which would have forbidden all articles sharing the contents of the 2016 WikiLeaks drops if those rules had existed back then. As I warned could happen back in August, these rules have set the stage for the cross-platform censorship of a 2020 October surprise. Here's a Drew Holden tweet. Perhaps the richest about face comes from Jonathan Chait, the same guy who suggested with a straight face that Trump has been a Russian asset since the 1980s and endlessly pushed the Steele dossier is worried that the Post story is a Russian hack true hypocrisy material he goes on to say right behind him in lack of self-awareness is kyle griffin he didn't want anyone sharing the link to the post story but he was happy to share representative adam schiff's conspiracy about russian collusion even post Mueller report There's a good thread going around Twitter compiling posts that mainstream media reporters have been making in objection to the circulation of Hunter Biden's emails alongside posts made by those same reporters promoting far more ridiculous and insubstantial allegations, like MSNBC's virulent Russia conspiracy theorist Kyle Griffin saying nobody should link to the New York Post report because if they do, they'll be amplifying disinformation. A new Reason article discusses how the mass media are not just avoiding the story, but actively discouraging it. On Wednesday, the New York Post published an attention-catching original report. Smoking gun email reveals how Hunter Biden introduced Ukrainian businessman to VP dad. In the previously unreleased email, which was allegedly sent on April 17, 2015, an executive with Burisma, the Ukrainian natural gas company, thanks Hunter Biden for giving an opportunity to meet Joe Biden, according to the New York Post. It's a story that merits the attention of other journalists, political operatives, national security experts, and also the public at large. Not least of all because there are serious questions about its accuracy, reliability, and sourcing. And yet many in the media are choosing not just to ignore the story, but to actively encourage others to suppress any discussion of it. Indeed, two mainstream reporters who acknowledged and criticized the Post scoop the New York Times' Maggie Haberman and Politico's Jake Sherman faced thunderous denunciation on Twitter from Democratic partisans simply for discussing the story. Center for American Progress President Sneera Tandon, I'm sorry, Neera Tandon accused Haberman of promoting disinformation, and New York Times columnist Michelle Goldberg told Sherman that he was helping nefarious conservative activists launder this bullshit into the news cycle. Historian Kevin Cruz asked why they were amplifying the story. She then goes on to talk about the Washington Post being hypocritical. So here's skipping ahead in the story. This would be the same Washington Post that has been circulating disinformation about Russia for years due to its disinterest in verifying information before reporting and has, alongside the rest of the mass media, been promoting the narrative that Russia interfered in the 2016 U.S. election based solely on unproven assertions promoted by government agencies, despite many gaping plot holes in that narrative. Where was the journalistic concern for seeing the data and inspecting the hard drives then? Max Abrams. For the media to now say that they can't cover a story because it's not totally substantiated is quite rich after four years of taking anonymous gossip as the gospel. But Max, that anonymous gossip came from the CIA, so it's okay, right? Now I'm skipping ahead to a more recent article after Twitter lifted the ban. No real change can come if speech is restricted by monopolistic oligarchs. In a solid new article titled, Facebook and Twitter cross a line far more dangerous than what they censor on the cross-platform silencing of the New York Post's publication of Hunter Biden's emails, The Intercept's Glenn Greenwald writes the following, That is always how it will work. It is exclusively the voices on the fringes and the margins, the dissidents, those who reside outside of the factions of power who will be subjected to this silencing. Mainstream political and media voices in the U.S. government and its allies will be fully free to spread conspiracy theories and disinformation without ever being subjected to these illusory rules. Censorship power, like the tech giants who now wield it, is an instrument of status quo preservation. The promise of the Internet from the start was that it would be a tool of liberation, of egalitarianism, by permitting those without money and power to compete on fair terms in the information war with the most powerful governments and corporations. But just as is true of allowing the internet to be converted into a tool of coercion and mass surveillance, nothing guts that promise, that potential, like empowering corporate overlords and unaccountable monopolists to regulate and suppress what can be heard. Greenwald is correct. The increasingly iron-fisted internet censorship we've seen rolled out over the last four years has consistently targeted groups that are oppositional to the status quo with its monopolistic Silicon Valley megacorporations like Twitter, Facebook, and Google have aligned themselves. Monopolistic corporations historically do everything they can to maintain their power. Once you've reached a certain level of power and influence, this means agreeing to collaborate with existing power structures, like when Google, Facebook, and Twitter were called before the Senate Judiciary Committee and instructed to come up with a strategy to, quote, prevent the fomenting of discord, unquote. Former FBI agent Clint Watts said, We all must act now on the social media battlefield to quell information rebellions that can quickly lead to violent confrontations and easily transform us into the divided states of America. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. This is what the social media giants were told by think-tanker and former FBI agent Clint Watts, who added, Stopping the false information artillery barrage landing on social media users comes only when those outlets distributing bogus stories are silenced. Silence the guns and the barrage will end. That reminds me, I think I need to buy a gun. What an asshole. Obviously, a violent uprising is something that any sane person would hope to avoid. I guess that proves I'm not a sane person. But when you're talking about information rebellions with vague terms like discord and division, you're not limiting yourself to the prevention of violence. You're talking about controlling the flow of information to prevent people from using the power of their numbers to collectively take direct action against the ruling power establishment in any way. As Greenwald noted, the Internet was initially hailed as a tool of the people for democratizing the flow of information instead of allowing that flow to be controlled entirely by the media-owning class. And for the moment, it is still far more democratic than it was back before the public had any access to media platforms of their own. People with an ear to the ground understood the potential political ramifications of a new paradigm in which ordinary people can circulate ideas and information without the permission of the establishment political slash media class. The problem came in when the corporations which were elevated to the top of this new paradigm began collaborating more and more brazenly with ruling power structures to the point where they are now just openly working with the U.S. government agencies to determine what information to censor. They have every incentive to do this as talk of antitrust cases and reinterpreting Section 230 heats up. They know the odds of their monopolies being torn apart go down the more favorable they make themselves to the government powers that would enforce them. This is a major, major problem for humanity as a species because we will never be able to make real changes to the systemic problems which are driving us toward disaster as long as establishment power is controlling our ability to interact with each other. This is a Richard Medhurst tweet.
1: By cheering on censorship, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Okay? Now, granted, the majority, the vast majority of the people who are cheering on this shit, who work in mainstream media, don't do any real journalism. They don't report on national security issues. They don't report on war crimes. They don't report on corruption. They pirate. They repeat what the DOD gives them. They repeat what party hacks give them. They're an arm, an extension of the national security blob. They're fucking hacks. They're stenographers. They're not journalists. So it doesn't concern them. If, if tomorrow morning YouTube starts kicking off lefties, from youtube it doesn't matter because msnbc and cnn and Washington post and all these motherfuckers who lied about the iraq war will still be there they'll still have nice comfy positions and contracts with these major studios they'll be fine the constituents who are cheering this on who think that this is opposing trump it's not opposing trump you're shooting yourself in the foot you dumb motherfuckers i don't know how else to put this okay what's next what are they going to block next national security journalism we're not going to be able to post WikiLeaks cables, WikiLeaks stories, we're not going to be able to expose government crimes and wrongdoing because they're hacked materials. All the good stories are hacked materials. All of the shit that is in the public interest that is of relevance to the electorate, to the general public, comes from hacked materials. You know why? Because that's the shit governments keep secret. That's exactly what they don't want you to know. I cannot believe this. I just sat through four fucking weeks of the Assange hearing, looking at them dismantle press freedoms before my eyes. And now these idiots are cheering on more censorship? You can't even post a link now? You have billionaires in Silicon Valley deciding what the truth is? And people are cheering this on. They're so fucking brainwashed and stupid. They think this is opposing Trump. You are gonna end up with shit far worse than Trump.
0: It's gonna be Ted Nugent for president next. Establishment power will keep advancing its own interests at all costs, even if it means pushing us into nuclear war or climate collapse. The only way to end their destructive rules is for a critical mass of the public to rise up and use the power of their numbers to force real change. People will not rise up and use the power of their numbers to force real change as long as they are being successfully propagandized not to by the ruling power establishment. People will continue to be successfully propagandized as long as a critical mass are prevented from viewing ideas and information which contradict establishment-friendly narratives. And that, dear viewers and listeners, is why you have to share the fuck out of this non-mainstream information. The huddled masses will never breathe free as long as they don't know what's going on. It really is that simple. If internet censorship of dissident voices continues to tighten, it will lose any potential to exist as a tool of the people, which can be used to advance real change, and will instead exist only as a tool for the powerful, which enables them to dispense propaganda narratives at a much faster rate than they previously could, with the added bonus of sweeping surveillance powers. The establishment pushes censorship for the same reason cult leaders and abusive partners work to isolate their victims. They don't want people sharing ideas and information with each other about their abuser because that can lead to their victims escaping from the abuse. We will never escape from the abuse as long as we are successfully prevented from sharing ideas and information with each other about our abusers to awaken a critical mass. Ding, ding, ding. Remember Alex Jones? Big Texan, voice like a fleet of helicopters, talked about Satan a lot. How often do you notice him these days? I used to see his face around all the time, but ever since his coordinated deplatforming across multiple online platforms, I often forget he even exists. I have no idea what he's even up to these days. He could be a hemp-wearing hippie now, for all I know. Maybe you're happy not to see Jones himself around anymore, but think about what kind of power these monopolistic platforms have for a second. They can completely disappear someone from public attention at a whim. That's how thoroughly they've come to dominate political discourse, and that's just too powerful a weapon for a small group of oligarchs to wield. This is a tweet, Alice from Queens. If you don't like power companies burning coal, go make your own grid. That was a sarcastic response to Radley Balco, who said, If you want a social media platform that allows the spread of disinformation favorable to your politics, go make one. There is no First Amendment right to stand on someone else's soapbox. It's hard to know what to do about this problem. The common argument that is often made sincerely by libertarians and insincerely by liberals is that monopolistic social media platforms which censor speech can be fought by free market competition. That developers can just start new platforms which people will flock to as safe havens from authoritarian regulations. This is a path fraught with obstacles, as Ars Technica explained following a House Judiciary Subcommittee antitrust investigation, because these giant platforms have been actively making competition next to impossible. Of course, people are free to start more fringe alternative social media platforms that won't be censored. They're free to dig a hole in the ground and yell into it without censorship, too. In both cases, nobody will hear them. A critical mass of people will never be reached with healthy new ideas and unauthorized information. In order to be allowed to grow to a size where a critical mass could be influenced, they'd be forced to collaborate with existing power structures and implement censorship in the same way Facebook, Twitter, and Google are doing. Moreover, there's nothing the establishment narrative managers would like better than for dissident voices to quarantine themselves onto obscure fringe platforms where they can't infect the mainstream herd with wrongthink. A mass exodus of all dissident voices from all mainstream platforms wouldn't cause problems for the establishment. It would solve problems for the establishment. So I don't see competition resolving this problem anytime soon. I think it's going to have to be faced directly, in the same way all the other arms of establishment oppression must be faced directly. I think we need to stand as close to the mainstream spotlight as we can, draw as much attention as possible to the dangers of internet censorship by monopolistic oligarchs, and hopefully drum up some support for legal action against these corporations which benefits ordinary human beings. This is me talking. I think we need to demand legal action in the same way that protesters demanded civil rights legislation back in 1968. Basic public pressure helps, too. Twitter has announced a rollback of its decision on the New York Post article, opting to attach a disinfo disclaimer instead of blocking the URL. This is still a paternalistic authoritarian intervention into information sharing, but it does show that censorship decisions can be swayed by public outcry. The establishment can only advance ugly policies if people aren't shining a big, bright light on what they're doing and calling lots of attention to it. They risk losing the ability to manufacture consent if they are too brazenly forceful in their authoritarianism. Like the rest of our struggle, we'll either win this battle or we won't. But we've got to do everything we can to make sure humanity comes out on top because there are very dark days ahead of us if we fail. There are some battles which we can afford to lose because the cost outweighs the benefit and it won't affect the outcome of the war, but this is not one of those battles.